It's time for Fish Facts TV. Welcome to Fish Casting, the fishing podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV. And I am Captain Tim. All right, guys, a great episode in store for you today. Um, I know we told you we were going to be back to our regular schedule, and then we missed a week. Uh, so we're back. I think we might have missed two weeks again. Now I think I can say we're going to try to get back into a normal rhythm, but uh, no promises. Like, I, like I've said before, we have day jobs, and we can always uh, keep up with this when we can't. All right, so Tim, I will let you lead off today. I heard you did some spear fishing. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, uh, I got I got a couple different trips I want to talk about, but I'll I'll start out with the spear fishing trip um, just because it was so recent. Um, it was this past weekend. Um, I was uh, involved in a spear fishing tournament, the St. Petersburg Open. Uh, that's held annually here in St. Pete, and it's coveted as the largest spearfishing tournament in the world. So I was involved in this tournament. I've done it a number of times with a great group of guys, um, and uh, I'll skip a lot, of the, a lot of the fluff, but it's a, it's a whole big deal. There's a cap meeting. There's a full day of spearfishing. There's an award ceremony. It's a super cool event put on by some good folks, so... Um, <clears throat> We go offshore uh, early, early in the morning, um, out to close to 100 feet deep, uh, trying to spear on a ledge. And um, my day was kind of interrupted a little bit. I, I had some issues um, with my sinuses. And anyone that's a, a diver knows that, you know, any, when you're going to depths, you need to be able to equalize your ears and, and, and figure that all out. So Unfortunately, I, I had kind of an incident on my um, first drop down for some reason. I couldn't clear properly, and uh, I ended up getting kind of dizzy and some vertigo and just not feeling good, and that's never happened to me before, so um, I dive pretty regularly, and I, I don't know what happened, but um, I decided to, to take a break for a while until I felt better. Um, unfortunately, when I was up on the boat for a number of hours, I was not feeling well at all. <laughs> Um, I was struck ill, uh, very unwell, uh, um, spent the majority of the day um, not being able to keep anything down. I'll spare the details there <laughs> also again, which is something completely foreign to me being on a boat and being sick. I know a lot of people get seasick, but I just was not stable on my feet. Something, something wasn't right um, after, after that first attempt. So when I started feeling a little better, I decided to, to really take it slow and, and, and do another drop down to see if I could kind of equalize a little bit, get things uh, kind of back in check. Um, so I went down um, and, and as I was going down really slow, things started becoming better. I kind of lost that vertigo, kind of cleared my head a little bit. And um, I got down to 80 feet. And I felt great. So I was happy I went back down there. Uh, this, this is where it gets real interesting. So um, I'm hunting on this uh, pretty significant ledge um, out in like 80 feet of water big overhang, lots of crevices and cracks and, and good fish, fish uh, habitat. So I'm kind of on the top of the ledge, looking down on my flashlight in one hand and my spear gun in the other hand, looking down, trying to find some snapper or grouper that are hiding up underneath this ledge because the big fish will retreat up underneath the cover. You'll see small fish swimming around, kind of checking you out, but the, the big ones, the ones you want are, are reclusive. They're going to go back in there and, and try to, to hole up away from you. 
so I see this, this awesome snapper. I mean, this guy's, you know, a six pound mangrove snapper, just, just a dandy. Um, I see him kind of poke his head out and look at me and, and, uh, I get kind of in this crevice and I end up shooting them, which I think was a pretty good shot, but my spear goes through them at such close range. It gets stuck in the rocks. I'm trying to wiggle them out, get them out. He's being a pain. Finally get the snapper out. It's, it's a dandy, just a really, really good snapper. Get my hand on it. I'm trying to get my stringer on it. And he was just still very alive. And um, as I'm trying to get the stringer on it, it ends up, the shaft comes out of him and he ends up slipping away down into this crevice that I just shot him from. Oh right as this is happening he he gets out of my hands within a half a second there's about a seven foot shark coming right next to me at arm's length chasing the snapper so it's actually a good thing i didn't have him in my hands because this fish was targeted to the snapper and another second i probably would have my hands in this in this shark's uh, mouth so that was very fortunate but pretty scary um the snapper is down in the, in the crevice and the shark is, is looking at him, trying to get him. So uh, I start ascending. I don't want anything to do with if there's a, a shark, you know, even a semi-aggressive shark or, or one that is um, now knows, you know, spear fishing and divers can be attributed to a meal. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I decided to end my dive. And as I'm ascending, I'm about 15 feet off the bottom. The shark loses interest in the snapper. He can't catch and he comes right at me. So I'm about 15 feet off the bottom. The shark comes straight up to me. Luckily in my ascent, I was able to reload, put a shaft back in my gun. I did not shoot the shark. I would not shoot a shark, but I was able to poke the shark. It took me two pokes. He poked him when he came up after me, right after me. Um, I was able to poke him and he, he went around and left me alone for a minute and then came right back again. I poked him again and, and he circled me for a number of minutes until I uh, finally made it up to the surface. So that was a pretty interesting dive. Um, I feel bad that I lost that mangrove snapper. Not only was it a beautiful fish, but, uh, you know, I, I know the shot would ended up being fatal just given the location of it. So I, I hate, I hate doing that. Um, I don't like losing fish. So that was pretty unfortunate. Um, I did do one more drop. Uh, I went down about another 80 foot or so ledge, not quite as nice of a ledge. Um, I was able to shoot a really nice red grouper and a, a really nice hogfish. Um, at least so I got a couple entries for the spearfishing tournament. Um, that snapper would have been probably a top contender, not, you know, top one, two or three, but definitely would have gotten me to the prize table a little earlier. But um, as I uh, made my ascent up after I shot these, these fish, I ended up kind of far away from the boat, just, uh, you know, the way I had to travel down this ledge. And uh, when I was coming up and when I have fish on a stringer on a spearfish and I, I clip them off to the very end of my spear gun. So it's, you know, a 50 inch or so gun and I hold it all the way out at arm's length. So if a shark or predatory fish wants that fish more than me, I kind of leave it out there as sacrificial. I don't want that attached to me or on my hip. And then I get bit by a shark because how close it is to me. So I get up to the surface, the boat sees me, it takes them a minute to come by and, and I throw up my gun, I throw up my fish, I'm getting my fins off. And as I'm on the ladder, getting into the boat, the guys behind me go, holy crap, this eight foot bull shark is coming right at me. Like my feet are still in the water and I'm coming up this ladder. I don't know what he was doing, but um, he came up, made an appearance, 
and I just had gotten in the boat and he, and he kind of swam off. So another close interaction, um, a very eventful day between <laughs> me feeling so awful and, and you know, my, my dive incident in the morning and then the two shark uh, interactions. But um, ended up placing in the tournament. Um, did, did okay, not, not where I wanted to be, but, you know, there was, I think, close to 300 competitors in this tournament. So a really big tournament, a, a lot of categories, and uh, a lot of fun. So that was my spearfishing adventure. Well, Tim, you know, as I've said here before, I think I've never been spearfishing and I've never been diving. And if I would have been on the fence, I think that story may have uh, sealed my fate as never having uh, trying either of them. So I guess um, I can thank you for that. But um, <laughs> it sounds like you definitely had some close calls there. Yeah, there, there were a couple of close calls. And, and like I said, I don't I don't blame these sharks for being curious and and. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in their habitat. And like I said, I, I, I have no interest in shooting a shark. Um, I'll defend myself the best I can. I mean, in reality, if I shot one with the spear gun and <laughs> the sharks this size, they'd probably just get more upset and come around. So yeah, I, I, um, I completely get it. It's nothing but respect for them. And um, I don't, you know, I, I'm happy to go diving again. Um, I'm more freaked out about the one I didn't know was there than the one I did, honestly. So um, we'll see. I can't wait to get back out there. And, and, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be scared of it. At least at least try some scuba and, and maybe work into spearfishing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you handled the situation perfectly, you know, to preserve the wildlife and preserve your life uh, as well. Yeah, it, it it's been fun telling the story over and over again at work because everyone is just so interested in it and uh, some close calls for sure. Now, uh, you did quite a bit of fishing, I think, right? Some offshore, some inshore, up and down the East Coast. Uh, can you tell me about it? Yeah, so um, I, I have one other little story, but I'll mainly talk about my week in Jacksonville. So I went up to stay with my family in Jacksonville, and we just, the, the beginning of the week, the weather was pretty bad every day. Um, you know, we couldn't get offshore, but we did have some fun in the river. Um, we, we went dock light fishing one night, caught a couple trout. My dad got a good red. Um, and we were fishing off the dock almost every day, mostly small catfish. Uh, but, you know, we took my, my little nephew, who's just turned three, and one of my good friends from high school, son, who's five. We took them out there, got them on some croakers, catfish, stingrays. Um, I caught a little bonnet head. My dad actually caught a pretty big nurse and I actually got a pretty good size red, all just fishing off my parents' dock. Uh, I even got a couple snapper, keeper snapper. So, uh, mangroves about 12 inches. So, you know, it, even though we couldn't get offshore all week long, it was, it was nice to be able to sit off the dock and uh and have a productive time just kind of relaxing you know my wife likes that better than the boat but on our last day there it laid out a little bit so uh what my dad likes to do is fish for kingfish so he runs about 20 miles off jacksonville and lives drifts uh minhaden for kingfish so it's not my favorite type of fishing but my dad loves it um my cousin rhett who i've talked to you guys about before uh, recently moved to Jacksonville. So it was the three of us. We go out there, catch some bait. 
get out to one of his kingfish spots, immediately hooked up, nothing but barracudas. Barracudas, 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 barracudas. We were catching them left and right. So I was like, all right, all right, this is fun and all, but, you know, I want to try to catch an amberjack. I want to try to catch, um, you know, maybe some lane snappers. The problem with Jacksonville, there's so many red snappers, but I know there's lanes down there. I know there's vermilions down there. I know there's amberjacks down there. So uh, while we were fishing off the dock, we probably caught about 10 pinfish. And my dad has a, a little live well set up. So not all the pinfish survived, but we had about eight good, big, live pinfish. So these are like, you know, your six, seven inch, takes a little beefier, you know, and a six, seven pound red snapper is not taking down one of these pinfish. So as soon as we get out there, um, we get tired of catching barracudas. So my dad has the spot lock with the trolling motor, spot locks us over some good bottom. I drive a, drop a couple of Menhaden down, catch like three, you know, beautiful red snapper out of season, um, let all of them go. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't like targeting these red snapper when they're out of season. I'm going to see if I can get on an amberjack. So I get a big pinfish, one of those seven, eight inch pinfishes. I drop it down about halfway, probably give it about minute, minute and a half. And man, just drag all the way down, pulling with every ounce of strength that I had. Just a crazy, crazy hard fight. Pulled up about a 15-pound amberjack. So not a huge one, but a substantially big keeper. We ended up letting it go because we don't really eat amberjacks, but so much fun to catch. I haven't caught an amberjack that big in probably three or four years. I've just been catching those little ones in Miami. So it was nice to catch a beefy uh, adult amberjack. So after that, I was feeling a lot better. Um, I, I kept trying to cut smaller and smaller chunks of bait fish to try to not get red snapper. Um, and it was a red snapper. Red snapper, you know, I, I was like, how can a red snapper even eat a piece of bait this small? This, the lanes are the vermilions. And finally, uh, the last drop of the first spot, I get something and I think it's a big red snapper. I was like, how did I get a red snapper this big on this tiny? And you know what? Cobia. Uh, oh, about an inch too short, but I did catch a cobia. My dad also caught two cobia at the same spot, but they were kind of schooly fish all about the same size, you know, anywhere from one to three inches too short. So still good, hard fighting fish, but uh, not big enough for the ice box. So my dad wants to try another spot. Um, I let my cousin use the rest of the, um, the pinfish. The amberjack just aren't hitting the, the menhaden. So I'm using my dad's reels. I have a, an issue with the reel, the roller comes off. So I'm not fishing. I'm just kind of trying to find the roller. I thought it dropped down in the boat. Um, and all of a sudden my dad has a, a free line menhaden out there and I hear the drag screaming. So I go to get it. It starts swimming towards the boat. I start reeling as fast as my can, I can. Like, is it still on there? My dad's like, yeah, it's probably running towards the boat. What is it? Oh, it's probably a king. Gets up right next to the boat. Mahi, mahi, uh, about a 10 pounder. And then it just shoots off, jumps probably 15 times. Uh, we think there was actually a shark chasing it for a little while, but uh, my dad uses those small number four treble hooks for Kings. 
So I didn't want to horse it in too much. Um, and a 10 pound mahi is still a very good fighting fish. Um, it's going crazy, jumping. Finally, get it up to the boat in one piece. And uh, we're, we're about to get ready to gaff it. And it swims right under the boat and around the trolling line. Um, oh. I'm heartbroken, but I don't think it's on the propeller yet. I can still feel that the fish is on there. So I have my dad pull up the trolling motor. I'm trying to get it off. And the fish is already pretty worn out by that point. So I think I can get it, but it's tangled. So my cousin uh, goes to the other side of the boat where the fish is, because there's only about 15 feet of line past the trolling motor uh, where the fish is. And so my dad and I are trying to get the line off the trolling motor and we hear, got it. So my cousin long armed the gaff. He's about six, five. And uh, I don't know how he did it, but he got us that dolphin and made for a wonderful dinner um, and a nice end to a pretty successful day. Yeah, it sounds like a successful day. Um, you know, it, it, it's nice when you have good help, right? I mean, it sounds like he, he saved that fish. And uh, I'm so glad that you were able to, to, to catch that one because I know Mahi's been like at the top of your list here for a few months that you've been really trying to get on those good mahi and a, a 10 pound mahi is definitely sizable one. Um, that, that's super cool. Um, I, I love the fact that you're getting into cobia too. That, that's such a good sign. Um, I, I love to, to, to find them when I'm out uh, wreck or reef fishing. It's, it's fun to get into a school of them and, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me just how many red snapper there are when they're out of season. You know, uh, I know a couple months ago we were talking and I went out red snapper fishing, couldn't find them, but I find them like crazy when they're out of season. So um, sounds like a real productive day. Sounds like you spent a, a, a nice time there with your parents and your family, you know, and that's just un unmatched time to be able to do that. So um, I'm super happy for it. That's cool, man. Yeah, it was a really good trip. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Getting the cobia, the amberjack and the dolphin in one day, you know, I didn't get a king, but just three good size predatory surface fish, you know, is I, I feel like I, I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever caught that combination of three, but just to get three big game species like that in one day, uh, you know, it's just a great feeling. Yeah. And, you know, not, I didn't mean to downplay the, the amberjack, you know, those, those guys definitely pull, I mean, pound for pound, you know, a 15 pound amberjack is, is a strong son of a gun. That thing I know pulled. So that's fun, man. I like it. And for the record, my cousin lost the rest of the pinfish on the bottom and was unable to get an amberjack up. So I think he had about three of them on there and he just couldn't stop them. Yeah, those big ones, they'll put a whooping on you. Now, uh, you said you had an offshore fishing trip too? Yeah, I, I did make it offshore um, a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Um, had, a, had a weather window that all of all of the weather reporting apps made look perfect, you know, seas at less than one feet at a, a long interval spacing waves. And, and I was ready to go. So the wife and I just, just went out together. We rolled out to about 30 miles and lo and behold, the wind never let up. The waves were definitely not what they projected and the water quality was absolutely awful. So this was maybe, I don't know, two or three weekends ago. I, I can't keep up now. But we, you know, we've had that really bad red tide event that has luckily um, vacated Tampa Bay and is now off the beaches. 
And then we've had just a, a crazy amount of rain here leading up to me going offshore. So the water looked super dirty. Um, it just, it was not, didn't look good. The red tide went out to almost 15 miles. It seemed like off the beach, dead fish everywhere. Um, not seeing birds, not seeing bait. And I got to tell you, fishing was tough. I was very humbled. Um, I tried a couple new spots, spots that I've marked before that I've never actually fished that I've gone out and, and, you know, put marks on, on my GPS that I wanted to go back and try since it was just the wife and I, I didn't feel like the pressure was on to produce for other guests. So it was going to be a day where we did some test drops and, and figured out some of these spots and it just was awful. We didn't have any live bait. We didn't even try to catch live bait because of the red tide. Um, so we're just using frozen white bait, frozen pinfish and, and squid. And, you know, some of these spots, I, I, I want to go back and try again because we, we were getting, you know, no bites on them. So we went to a go-to proven spot just, just for my own sanity. Like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go here and I know that there's good fish here to try it out. Nothing. So it, I don't know what happened. Um, these, these spots just were not producing. I ended up going to a, a spot that I, I, if I didn't find fish there, I would have just hung up, hung up my rods and started playing golf because if I couldn't find fish there, you know, that that's just pitiful, but ended up catching, you know, I think 15 or so nice size lane snapper just to, just to bring something home. You know, it's just a piece of hard bottom that we like to drift and, and, and add some lanes to the box or some vermilions or porgies. It always produces. So that spot worked, but I don't, I don't know what was going on on some of those other ledges, um, just not producing. So it was, it was a tough, tough fight. Um, got a, a couple really small red grouper and, and all those lane snappers. So just, uh, just, just kind of off. And then, you know, fast forward two weeks or so to the spearfishing tournament, there were fish everywhere. So I don't, I don't know what was going on. I have to blame the water quality or, or something, but uh, it was just not successful. And I was very humbled that day. You know what they say, fish have fins and they know how to use them. You know, you never know yeah. where they're going to be, what they're going to do. If it's just going to be something about the water quality, the temperature, that just makes them either move to a different spot that you're not aware of or stop biting. But, uh, you know, it happens to the best of us from time to time. So it's a shame that you had to go through that, but at least you got those lanes at the end. Yeah. You know, it's not all about keeping fish, but you know, when you run over 60 miles round trip, you know, 30 out 30 back, you're, you know, you're burning over a hundred dollars in fuel. It's nice. It's nice to bring back a, a couple dinners, you know, a couple fish tacos. So, you know, either way, we had a good day. Um, it was a little windy. It was a little rough, not ideal conditions, but it's always nice to get out on the water and, and enjoy being out on the boat. So we, we made the best of it. We definitely Absolutely. did. And you, you did some, some more fishing. I know we're going back and forth, but was it inshore? Was it offshore? I can't, I can't keep up. Yeah, it was actually the day we recorded our last podcast, but I wanted to save it thinking that we were we would record that week. And here we are three weeks later. Um, but I went to Marco Island um, again. You know, last time I had all that luck catching those snook off the beach. This time there was just bait everywhere, but the waves were big. There was a west wind and I wasn't able to sight cast like I was before. And there was also scattered showers every other hour a huge storm so we got a ton of bait walked down the beach weren't getting anything we get almost 
down to the South Jetties. Um, and a guy mentioned, a guy on the beach mentioned catching Spanish mackerel, which seems weird to me in July, uh, or it might've been early August, getting Spanish mackerel, because on the Atlantic side, all the Spanish mackerel are up in New Jersey, Cape Cod, you know, they're not down South, but I figured I'd try. So I threw out my, my Spanish mackerel rig that was so successful for me with Miami um, or in Miami back in February, that little small cork um, and a long shank hook with about a three foot leader. Sure enough, I caught two pretty good size, you know, 20, 22 inch Spanish mackerel uh, right there, right off the beach. Still no snook. So we walk all the way down to the South Jetty and almost immediately I see a pretty decent sized snook, um, maybe 24 inches. It wasn't a keeper, but it was a good fish. Um, and I had a, a buddy with me who's only ever caught a handful of snook in his life. And I said, hey man, cast it right there. He throws his pilcher to it instantly, um, hooked up on the snook. And boy, he was on cloud nine just to see somebody else catch a snook like that. Um, we ended up seeing more, but they weren't biting real well. Um, I finally got one to bite and I had it on, but I, we moved to such small hooks and such a light leader, uh, jumped a couple times and right at my feet, it, uh, it snapped the hook off with those gill plates. So not as good. Uh, we, he also caught another ladyfish. Um, so not as good as my previous trip to Marco Island, but you know, we had some success and it's always good to put my buddy on, a on a snook like that when, when he's never caught that many in the past. Yeah, that, that's always so rewarding to, you know, either give someone their first opportunity to nice fish or introduce someone into the sport and just have them take to it and have a great time. So that, that's super cool. And, you know, it seems like you were up against, you know, um, some tough conditions with all that wind and then the, the rain and everything. And, and even just the presence of all that bait. You know, like with the millions and millions of bait around, I mean, how, how are those snook going to choose just your, your bait? So seems like you, you made the best of it. And uh, I, I bet your buddy is still talking about that snook to his friend. So seems like a, a good trip. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tim, um, we went long again with our fishing stories. So no questions, but we will drop a quick fish of the week. The Atlantic Menhaden Brevortia tyrannis. So this is the primary bait fish that we use off Jacksonville. Uh, they run in huge pods up and down the beach, all the way from North Florida, maybe even Central Florida to Nova Scotia, Canada. They're the main bait fish um, in the Northeast in New York when I used to live there in Connecticut, Rhode Island. Uh, these, these are the primary bait fish that people are using in a little bit colder water, uh, but you do see them still in the Gulf. Um, in, in, I've never seen them in Miami, but I, I know they get them in Central Florida. They're in the same family as your white bait, so they look similar, um, but they, they are, you are able to tell them apart pretty easily. Um, but as far as bait fish go, I would say they're, they're pretty much interchangeable with a white bait um, of the same size, but they grow much bigger. I would say you rarely see those big white bait, whereas Menhaden, especially up in New York, you'll see them 12 inches long. Um, what about you, Tim? Do you have any experience with them? Yeah, very little as far as the actual fish itself. Um, 
I'd say maybe once or twice a year, generally in the spring, I'll catch one or two in a cast net in with, you know, um, those uh, thread fins or white bait or, or pinfish as I'm chumming. And um, I'll, I'll get them every once in a while. They immediately die. Uh, I can't keep them alive for whatever reason, but um, they're excellent bait. And I do use a lot of menhaden oil, you know, um, up north, like you were saying, where the big ones are, people will catch them, they'll net them up, and then they process them for their oil. And uh, it's a great fish attractant. I mix it in. That's part of the chum I use for catching bait fish. So you, I use a lot of menhaden oil. But uh, a, a fun fact, not really a fact, but an observation, all of the menhaden that I've caught here in Tampa Bay have all had that tongue parasite on them. Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's the one that latches onto the tongue and then it feeds off the blood and then it pretty much becomes the tongue. Um, super nasty stuff. Um, I recommend everyone to, to look it up, but it, it's pretty creepy. But it's weird. Those fish in particular, everyone I've caught in Tampa Bay had that. Always. So it, it's, it seems really common for them. I guess they're just a target for it. But that's, that's pretty much what my menhaden experience is. Yeah, they're, they're very gross fish, but those those parasites, very common. I feel like every time we use them for bait in Jacksonville, at least one will have that on its tongue. Um, it's a little crustacean. It's very disgusting. Um, if you've never seen one, like Tim said, Google it. And one point on the oil, you know, when I used to live in uh, New Orleans area, you go down there in Biloxi and around New Orleans, and that's where they have a lot of the commercial fisheries for those. Um, and I remember once I saw a boat so loaded down with those menhaden, it had about a foot of freeboard. But I think that's where they do the majority of the, the processing for that uh, menhaden oil. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it works great as a fish attractant. I don't know. Keep it coming. <laughs> it's just expensive. All right, guys. Well, remember to like and subscribe on YouTube. Give us five stars on iTunes. DM us on Instagram your questions. Because we will start doing questions. We will start getting guests. It's just been, uh, you know, busy with our, our lives lately. But, uh, you know, we really enjoy doing this. And we hope to, uh, to continue to do, do this more frequently going forward. Yeah, to echo what you said, you know, yeah, reach out. I've, I've had some folks reach out with questions or they're in the area and they, they want some recommendations. Don't be shy. You know, we love to talk fish and that's why we do this, uh, you know, an outdoor fishing podcast. So um, reach out, find me at captain underscore strip and uh, say, hey, if you're in the neighborhood. All right. Sounds good, Tim. I'll catch you hopefully next week. All right. Thanks, Tanner.